depended on this attentively. When Rabbi Shapiro asked the younger Rabbi Kut why he was doing so, he answered as follows. He said his father received the young guard from America, Rabbi Soloveitchik, and he's a Vedetan learner. They taught Torah. When Rabbi Soloveitchik left, the father of Kut told his son that the experience of speaking with Rabbi Soloveitchik reminded him of his earliest years in Volusia when his grandfather, Abchayim, started to give shiurim. And I believe, Rabkuk said, that the koyach has the highness when Zayn is aligned in Zaynul. The power of the genius of the grandfather now resides with the grandson. And therefore, make sure you don't miss a single shear that the Yashavez of Abhishek is going to give. But if unlike Dr. Belkin, the Lord was not an Anabi of Bedobi, then we may say to him that he, would, he embodied another passage in the Haggadah. Your children will be engaged in strangers and in land that is not theirs. The Lord was not a wandering Aramean, but a lonely Abrahamite, a lonely Lidbach. And this loneliness was one of the most painful and enduring characteristics of his inner life. This giant who was at home in every discipline, a master of an astounding variety of branches of wisdom, familiar with almost every significant area of human creative intellectual enterprise, felt ultimately like a stranger dwelling in someone else's land. It is the land. Somehow the Lord did not fit in to any of the conventional categories. His genius was such that the loneliness attendant upon it could not be avoided. The fact which caused him no end of emotional anguish, yet gave us the gift of his phenomenal and creative originality. He was both destined and condemned to greatness and his consequence. This sense of loneliness and isolation and differentness had a number of different sources, quite different sources all of which reinforced each other. One was emotional, began quite early in his life. The Lord pointedly describes, in his Uvikashta Misham, his early experiences of fear of the world, of social detachments, his feeling of being mocked and rejected and friendless. The only friend he had was the Rambam. And as he grew older, the other Ahmehavisora, whom he encountered in his learning, the Lord identifies this as more than imagination or fantasy, but as a, as a profound experience, the experience of the Messiah of Parashat Balkan. And yet, the sense of social loneliness and emotional solitude was not dissipated. Indeed, that was the way he was brought up. He tells us that he was taught to hide his emotions. He was never kissed by his father. He had no real friends in his childhood or youth, and probably no truly intimate comrades in his adulthood. This sense of alienation was not only a psychological and social factor in the various roles that all played in life, it was also central to his whole conception of life. His most characteristic form of analysis in his great philosophical essays and oral discourses was the setting up of typological conflicts, almost Schneidian, two different types 
covenant heaven too. He shall water and he shall look in. The covenant of faith and the covenant of destiny. Majesty and humility and so on and so forth. And ultimately, conflict and dissonance make for inner alienation and loneliness. This philosophical approach, I believe, stems from two sources. One was his attempt, probably developed during his years in Berlin, to defend Yahadus from the encroachment of a self-confident and aggressive natural science and equally arrogant and modern philosophy. To counter that, the law adopted the Neo-Kantian view in which there is a distinct chasm or gap that separates the natural order of objectivity and quantification and number and determinism, at least on a macro scale, from the internal human realm of the subjective, the qualitative, and passionate area where freedom reigns. The second source is, I believe, an ashkata of his misnagdic ancestor, Chaim Alushka, who saw the world and all existence as multi-layered, as plural, as reflected in the Havata, which makes distinctions, very serious distinctions, Thor and Tomei, Akayev and Basel, and Achilev, and Yev, and Kodesh, all, as in the vision of Esekidushetai, as against the Hasidic view of a monistic, unified world, one which tended to blur distinctions and sought to overcome countries. Thus, for instance, Bakuk, strongly influenced by the Hasidic side of his lineage, saw underlying unity uh, beyond all the phenomena of fragmentation and opposition, while the North's view was anything but harmonistic. He saw not homeless, but conflict, chaos, and confrontation in the very work and work of life. Man, he held, was constantly beset by a torn soul and a shattered spirit, by painful paradoxes, bedeviled by dualities, and each day forced to make a choice, often fatal ones, in the confrontation of savage countries, of a jarring clash of flames and counterclaims in both concept and in concept. Both these sources, the neo-Kantian and the thought of the Bahá'í see fundamental disunity and a fractionation of experience in the world. Such a vision of contradiction and incongruity leads inexorably to anxiety and tension and restlessness, to a denial of existential comfort and spiritual security. It results in loneliness, was truly the lonely man of faith. And it is this philosophically articulated loneliness with its death crises became enduring and especially poignant when it was superimposed on a natural tendency to solitude and feelings of the
Anyone who was privileged to visit with him and the late Edison, Leonard Shalom, and their home in the Boston area could tell immediately that for the Lord, his home was the haven and even the heaven. Do we not recall a terrible scene with the bitter tears that he shed when he gave the estimate for the Edison? The second way in response to his existential loneliness was spiritual. The man whose goal was never mere peace or happiness, but truth, was able to ascribe the feelings of Gehiyaz Arachah by his deep and unshakable Amuna. Rabbi Halak mentioned his Yerah Shemaya. The lonely Abrahamite knew not only the anguish of alienation inflicted upon our ancient forebear, or rather his children, but Abram's secret. And that was the Matrasa as the Babal Nehemon the Banaga, a faithful heart, a heart of Emunah. How does Emunah overcome the loneliness of the stranger, the alien, the gear? Perhaps by understanding that none is more lonely, Kaviyako, than the Kaviyako himself. Man's loneliness and Israel's loneliness, as Amnabadad Yishon, are both reflections of the divine holiness. Even as he is the God, the unsurpassably and ineffably one, so he is incomparably alone, incomparable And doesn't such absolute and transcendent aloneness imply from a human perspective unparalleled and unimaginable loneliness? I thought as one of who reaches out to his human creatures seeking as it were the spiritual companionship of human beings. The Nisimah of the must be put side by side with the Gemara like God deeply desires this Adam who lusts for the tefillah, the relationship, the companionship of Sadiqim. And man eases his own pitiful terrestrial loneliness by awakening his loneliness the majestic loneliness of the divine. So does loneliness join loneliness. And out of this encounter is born the divine human companionship nourished by divine innocent and human emuna. Once the friendship are created as man gratefully acknowledges the Banashalom as filthy, my beloved, and the Banashalom regards the lonely Nibranamite as our problem. Such exaltation came from the love, and I'm saying nothing to you, just recapitulating what he writes and says. It came to him during Tzvila, during his precious moments and hours, suffused with the purest Bermuda, the love found both the truth and the peace to which he devoted his life as his riven soul was healed and unified. Recall his moving description and his majesty and humility of his experience of prayer when the late Levison Allah Ashokan lay 
on the battlefield of Halacha during his year here at Yeshiva. Chazal often speak of Halachi Tebet as Masal Matan Shalalacha. The give and take of Halacha, but Masal Matan means business. It's like a business negotiation. It's that you deal in the coin of ideas and concepts. But there's also another kind of description Chazal gives. There are many descriptions. Masal Matan. Nochem says that Halacha. Machadadin says that Halacha. But there's also another word, and that's basic halacha. Oh, this asku halacha. That doesn't mean to be engaged in. It comes from the word ki his askuivo. Hey, Kodashem Abeir, asek ki his askuivo. Struggle, strife, argument, almost a war to the finish. That is what I speak of when I make the book of Lasso of the Debrator and follow it immediately with Mahareva. Lasso of the Debrator to struggle and fight, the Akbar contain. Always remains Mahave Ibn Asli, engaged in a war of wits with his own students, parrying ideas and interpretations, entering the fray with the Irashian faces of Amban and Amban and Amban and Balabar, and, and trying to resolve their differences in his typical brisket error, which he inherited in that modified, there, in that task, very difficult battle, there he found his peace and his companionship. Permit me to relate to you a story that I told elsewhere. It was my second year in a year, and I was intimidated, very intimidated, and in awe of him, as was every other topic. That is, almost every other topic. There was one student who I believe was the youngest one in the class, and also one of the brightest, who was clearly the least frightened or awed of the dog. Great respect. But he wasn't overwhelmed with fear. The Lord had been developing one line of thought for two or three weeks. When his talk when his talk casually said, But Rebbe, the Hidushi Aran says such and such, which destroys your whole spark. I was taken aback, and he put his head into his hands for two or three excruciatingly long minutes while we were all silent. Then he looked up, perplexed. Upset, put his hand in his pocket where he kept his notes usually, opened them up, took a pencil, and crossed out page after page after page. And says, The shear is over. We're only one half hour into it, two and a half hours here. I'll see you tomorrow. Well, I learned two things from this remarkable episode. First, we were overwhelmed by his astounding intellectual honesty. With his mind, he could easily have wormed his way around, maneuvered a text as far as, and somehow managed to rescue both the Shita and the Diva. But that wasn't enough. He did nothing of the sort. He taught by example that the overarching goal of Kamatora is by Kushar for Emes. And if he had to confess to the youngest student in class that he made a mistake, he crossed out page after page. He encouraged independent thinking by his students as a way to assure the pursuit of truth of Emerson Torah. The Lord was authoritative, but he was not authoritarian. No Muslims could have so successfully inculcated in us the respect for Emerson at all costs. The second lesson came with the anticlimax of the story. Because the very next day, it was a Wednesday, the Lord walked into class. With a broad, happy grin on his face. Oh, 
must go after the truth no matter who stands in your way. And so that all was an old man and often went against the grain of accepted and conventional opinion. Once, after, I was not witness to this, but I heard it, after a particularly creative sheer, a masterful sheer, someone who was not interested in this kind of originality came to him and said, but Rabbi Salvation, what is your source? And the Lord answered, a clear and logical mind. The Lord was an independent figure, not only in Ramona, not only in Mashallah, but also in his communal leadership. He had great respect for many or most of his peers, eminent Ramona and the Shishivas of his generation. But the respect did not intimidate him. The Lord rejected Kanoas as well as Kaptas Namochen, even as he deplored Katani Amon. He was not afraid to be in the minority and refused to be cowed by the pressures of the majority. He was horrified by extremism and overzealousness, as well as superficiality and phoniness in communal policy making, as much as he contemptuously dismissed them in his learning. And he sometimes seemed to waver in setting policy or rendering a decision in communal matters. It was because he saw all sides of an argument and was loath to offend or hurt anyone, even if he disagreed with For instance, he was almost alone among contemporary early Torah in the way he viewed the emergence of the state of Israel in Enos Israel and the divine chesed. He indeed saw it as the disappearance and opening a new chapter in Jewish history, one in which we enter the stage of history once again. He was not afraid despite not only the opinions of the majority of Hashem Yeshiva, but also his own distinguished family members. He was not afraid to identify with the goals and aspirations of religious Zionism. Perhaps the most significant area where he diverged from Olegadolim and followed an independent era was, regard, was with regard to the Dudehol to Torah Ramada. The Rav was an intellectual colossus ascribed the various continents of human intellectual achievement as well as all forms of Jewish thought. Culturally and psychologically as well as intellectually, this made him a loner, a loner amongst the halakhic authorities of this century. How many gedolim after all, how many gedolim in the world have read Greek philosophy in Greek and German philosophy in German and the Vatican statement on the Jews in Latin. A PhD from the University of Berlin in mathematics and especially philosophy, he took these, this discipline seriously, not as inconsequential academic orientation or a superficial cultural ornamentation as a way of, as a way of impressing benighted and naive American Jewish students who did not know them. There is no doubt where his priorities lay. Obviously, they were in total. Anyone who knew the man would know that. But he did not regard Mada as a Bediyevit compromise. The Lord believed that the great thinkers of mankind had truths to teach all of us. Truths which were not necessarily invalid and unimportant because they derived from unsacred sources. Moreover, the language of philosophy was for him the way that the ideas and ideals of Torah can best be communicated universally to culture and people. 
Deep down, we were secretly frightened at the prospect that someday we're no longer happy with us. So what consolation do we have? We have come here to mourn, to mourn out our love already. For now that greatness is gone, hijacked from us by history. No more for us, the exquisite intellectual delight of the incomparable Shirin, the aesthetic pleasure of the artistic organization of masterful neuroscience cautious, even the edification of his estate and his personal counsel. The years of his decline have drained us for most of our tears. But with the finality of the material of our love, we utter a collective sigh and lay us from mind. A composite sigh composed of one part of this consummate of Avis, endless and bottomless sadness, and we join the family in that thoroughly and completely. And also a one part of pity for the world, and a harmonious of devout, that has been denied now the privilege of his presence. One part of a promise to the love that neither he nor his parent or his Ashkafa will leave our midst or ever be forgotten. And that is why I would walk with him. How love the Dabair. Because sitting or standing implies an end. Now, no future. Stagnation. Whereas walking implies something unfinished. A destination that beckons. A goal not yet achieved. And therefore, a man to continue. Our loyalty to the Lord will live as long as we do, as long as I don't need them to, as long as this yeshiva exists. It was a lot of honor here in this yeshiva, where he presided at Russia yeshiva for half a century. His presence will always be palpable. The Zayar and Rodeo are guarded and chased by the lady. Sometimes it's a safer Torah and it's 